we welcome you to buy into it. And uh, tonight we are talking computers, we're talking technology, we're talking all the news and fun, geeky events that are that are fit to print, I guess. Um, I'm joined by Simon Brown. Hello. And Dan Salmon. Hello. And I'm Vanessa Tohoka. Thanks for tuning in. Guys, welcome. Thank you. It's been a, a full-on news week, but uh, I'm feeling a little fatigued with uh, data retention metadata type stories. What else has caught your eye this week? Well, um, one thing that's uh, been announced today, it's, I suppose it's a sad day for some and an extremely happy day for others. Um, we're looking at the end of uh, Internet Explorer, or at the very least, the end of the brand Internet Explorer. I, for one, am happy. <laughs> Let's just vote in the happy camp. I don't know what my work is going to do because it's the only thing that 90% of my work internals work on sometimes. Uh, and I'm not sure that this is the only workplace where this is true, where there's a whole heap of stuff built in, like legacy stuff that's been built mm. over the years that only works in Internet Explorer and is only, you know, let's face it, starting to not work now that Internet Explorer is becoming... A more modern browser. And a more compliant with proper HTML browser. Well, you know, you don't <laughs> like the blink tag. <laughs> um, I found out the marquee tag works on a uh, enterprise social networking system that I might use <laughs> in my day job. And uh, I was shocked and astonished to find that a lawyer had tried the marquee tag. And I think by the time, you know, the, a non-programming lawyer um, decides to test that out, you really think... That tag should have been retired. A while ago. But <laughs> the, I guess that was the thing about Internet Explorer back in the day is that it did do a whole heap of things that, uh, I guess, beautified, for want of a better word, and perhaps not so accurately, if you think of a def- definition of that word, but it did, it prettied up. It allowed easy prettying up in the yes, early it days. Really, it really tried to make excuses for poor web development, didn't mm. it? But it made a lot of assumptions doing that. Uh, it, it certainly didn't um, make anything partic- more open and understandable. Mm. But it was, I mean, it was really, it wasn't its early days which caused us to want the end of this brand. It's sort of the last decade Mm. of looking back and going, oh, my gosh, that thing, it's such a slog. It's, you know, it's so slow... And so it, let's take ourselves back. We were coming from a world of the little, you know, the little N Netscape logo, the little M for Mosaic as well. Those were around. And suddenly IE came out there and its logo was a little bit spiffier, a little bit higher resolution. Mm-hmm. And the browser was a little bit faster. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And that's all it needed to be at that point. Plus it came bundled with office the office suite yeah and i think i mean it was the subject of antitrust suites it was yeah. suits it was the i it was always its integration with windows and the fact that it was the default which seemed to be like it's its competitive advantage mm. it's interesting that they gave a they didn't actually give out any of the names but they uh, Microsoft did give away a little bit of its research about what they're looking at with the new name. And they discovered that uh, what, what surprised me, I guess, was that uh, let's say we're going to call the uh, new browser telephone because that's the first thing that I looked at when I just opened my mouth. Uh, apparently calling it Microsoft Telephone was going to be more 
have more cash with people than just calling it telephone. Really? Yeah, it was more popular. Anything with Microsoft in front of it was more popular than anything just with a name just by itself. However, anything was more popular than Internet Explorer <laughs> as a brand. So, uh, But obviously, well, according to Microsoft, at least if we can trust what they say about their own research, uh, the Microsoft brand still carries a certain amount of respect with it um, from your everyday user. And I, I guess that's that's reasonable. I mean, lots and lots and lots of people still use Windows um, and it's... It, it is a brand that people use every day, so I guess I guess it is a brand that people trust. That does that doesn't surprise me. Um, I think amongst maybe people who are really uh, regular listeners to the show, maybe a lot of us would feel a bit differently about the Microsoft brand, uh, something that we're forced to use in in work contexts or um, that we support family members using. But for a large um, cut of the public, I guess it's. That is what's on their computer. You know, they're, they're used to the Microsoft suite and they're used to Internet Explorer, the default, and they think that's what a browser is. When mm. you say go to a browser, that's, you know, they're not aware that there are options. Well, that's it. Mm. Um, they also, I guess, a, a huge selling point is that office that office side of things and you know i mean that seems to be the main selling point for uh the surface it's you know it's a tablet with office so Mm. yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see what microsoft do obviously it's just going to be a browser it's i I can't imagine it's going to come back as anything else but it's uh it it is a time to mark the end of a brand that we have known Mm. for um, well 20 is it 20 years yet has it it reached 20 years like very few I would say maybe not even browsers, but software in general, it stays around for for 20 years. I I, I did see that the replacement is going to be... Its current name is Project Spartan, which sounds (laughs) really exciting, you know, lean, fast, and kill thousands of people with a single knife. But didn't Saturday Night Live have their cheerleaders, you know, Will Ferrell and Terry O'Sherry with the Spartans? You know, it's a little bit ready, okay. (laughs) There are a lot of contexts in which that name doesn't really work but okay well i'm sure they'll do their their research and development and yeah and i'm sure we'll hear about it you are listening to a podcast from australia's best known community radio station three triple r 102.7 in melbourne you're with bite into it talking computers and technology with dan simon and vanessa thanks for tuning in now, South by Southwest just uh, just went down, and uh, there've been a few bits of lovely tech news coming out of that. Simon, our reporter on the ground, uh, on the ground in Melbourne, on the ground <laughs> in Melbourne, gone following the blogs. A couple of things that really caught my eye uh, was uh, that Yahoo wants to kill the password. Uh, they are and have announced that you can. I, I guess if you know the dual authentication, where you can, uh, if you enter your password and you're doing banking, then they uh, SMS you as well to make sure that that is you are who you say you are. Mm-hmm. Well, Yahoo want to leave the first bit out, where you actually enter your password and just have you authenticate with your code on your phone. Um, interesting strategy. Interesting strategy. Uh, I, oh, it, it makes me nervous, uh, and. I don't know how. How do you feel? Because well, I, I don't know whether it's a. It's like a. Um, I don't want to say subliminal thing, but like it, it just it makes me feel more comfortable to have at least a two 
uh, different? To me, it feels a little like uh, just because my phone is there doesn't mean I am. Exactly. Mm. How much how much weight are we going to put on this personal device? Yeah, and I mean, like little things like um, you know, someone has gotten into my online banking, for example, and you know how when you put a new uh, recipient of payments or a new biller on, it will send you with like a text, mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, okay, that's all very well and good. If they've got my web login for my um, banking details, it's perfectly feasible that they also have my phone. That that, that doesn't make me comfortable. The fact that like they're removing at least one of those, I don't know. I'm rambling. I mean, this is I'm only, rambling. This is Yahoo. As far as I know, Yahoo aren't using this for payments. They're using this for you know Yahoo stuff. So, mm. um, so someone can uh, get into your Flickr account and well, really cause trouble. Well, that's it. I yeah. I, I wonder how much weight we're putting on this sort of this network, especially when I mean the other thing that I noticed uh, from South by Southwest was uh, the Meerkat app, which was uh, tightly integrated uh, with Twitter for a little while live video app uh, which you know basically allows you to sort of stream live video from your phone and, uh, and and push out a notification to your Twitter connections that's right um, mm. although Twitter then pulled the plug on it fairly quickly and uh, but people are still you know they're still using it um, but so the me, issue with that was that Twitter had bought a different tool was it possibly called periscope periscope or that's the one mm. so there's lots of standing up and looking about from both of them <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um i uh, to me maybe this is my australian point of view showing but d- d- like just the thought of thousands and thousands of people um streaming video from their mobile phone just makes me think of the whole system crumbling and me not being able to get into my Yahoo account. Are our mobile networks designed to take the weight of this much video flying about? I don't know. I mean, I'm not expecting either of you to be able to answer that question. <laughs> but as a rhetorical question, I it, it I don't makes even me know if our NBN light is is designed to, to deal with that sort of traffic, <laughs> so let alone the mobile networks. But, I mean, obviously, there's only you know there's only 20 million or so of us, and we're we're I mean we are fairly concentrated as a population, but I. I yeah, it, it's interesting that these tools and obviously not everyone's going to stream video all the time, but aren't they? I mean, everyone. It, it's it makes me think back to uh, when suddenly artists all got access to video cameras and we mm. had to endure years of terrible video art before but people. Also, you know, amazing, you know, budget. Video movie exactly. Did you? Did there you, was the gold. Yeah. Well, did you catch uh, Big Z on Breakfasters uh, the other morning talking about the uh, retrospective on MTV? And so, and MTV was a perfect example of you know the the ability of this video culture to uh, where where this video culture grew to. And that's right. But I yeah. I mean, I I'm not don't want to sound like a snob, but I just can't imagine wanting to watch much of it. Is all. But yeah. maybe. That's just maybe, me. maybe that's enough now. Um, it's seven seventeen, and we are smashing the chip tunes tonight, and we're smashing them for a reason. That's because uh, the Square Sounds Music Festival is happening for four days um, around this weekend, and uh, we are in a moment going to be speaking to a couple of people from the festival. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, Three Triple R, one hundred two point seven in Melbourne. You're with Bite Into It with Dan, Simon and Vanessa and we are very excited to just have been joined in studio by Eugene. Hello. Hello. And Anders Carlson, welcome. Thank you. Anders, you've come to us all the way from Sweden. 
Um, and uh, you're out here for the Square Sounds Festival. Uh, Eugene, you're one of the co-organisers of the festival. Correct. Uh, how long have you been involved? Uh, this was kind of uh, the spiritual successor to Blip Festival Australia, which we were also involved in and kind of, uh, yeah, did their bit. Um, so, God, a while now. This is coming on... We'll be doing the fifth year or something crazy like that. I, I honestly can't remember off the top of my head. It just seems like a bit of a blur. Excellent. <laughs> Now, Anders, you're famous um, for creating over a thousand songs. You've got multiple pseudonyms. It was incredibly interesting researching you because I kept going, am I researching the right person or is this, you know, have I fallen astray in some Wikipedia deep hole? Um, how did you first get involved in chiptunes? Um, well, I was a kid and my brother just showed me how to make music on the computer that we had, which was this Amiga computer that I still use. I just never really stopped. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> just got stuck with it. So when I was looking into you, I knew about chiptunes, and that was kind of cool. And, you know, they're big here and they're big in Japan and they're big in Copenhagen and stuff, and we hear about them around the place. But I started reading about something called the demo scene, which was completely new to me. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's basically like this underground subculture of, creative hackers i guess you could call it that like um, making audiovisual stuff and making it sort of as as cool as possible to just to like impress other demo scene people because it's not really for 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 normal people so it's just really <laughs> really sort of um yeah, incestuous, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what the word really. But, yeah, to an outsider is maybe a little bit boring, sort of. But for us who sort of live through it, it's, like, still still going. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, one of the points is to, like, push technology as far as as possible. And, I mean, the stuff that people do these days with these old computers is just... Mind mind blowing, sort of. It, it wouldn't have been possible in the in the eighties and so on. Mm. Now the demo scene, if I'm not wrong, had the had its genesis in like crackers who were you know uh, basically pirating software in the early days back when you had to press play on tape to load something, and that the crackers used made these demos fit into the loading screen of whatever was left over after they had, yeah. you know, <clears throat> cracked this program. Is that right? So they had to fit their demos into this really confined space because they're already loading another piece of software. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, um, these software crackers, they wanted to put their signature and maybe it, it all just started with their names in text and then that sort of gradually grew. Uh, and at one point it just became an art form in itself and they were released as separate things not as part of the games sort of. so it's like geeky graffiti <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i mean it's really like imposing your name on on a place where you're not allowed to put your name so it's yeah graffiti is a is a good metaphor for it mm. So would you consider when people hack things like um, dot matrix printers and try and make sounds out of that would that be included within the description of something in the in the demo scene yeah, I mean, that's sort of an ongoing fight, what sort of gets included or not. Um, I have a very sort of pragmatic view on it, that just the stuff that is released in the demo scene is, like, a part of the demo scene. <laughs> <laughs> and the stuff that's not is, is not. Because it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's very sort of, I mean, you'd be surprised at how separate the chip music scene is from the demo scene. It's 
I mean, often it's more or less the same thing, but mm. it's still like two very uh, different subcultures. So we're getting kind of philosophical here already. Eugene, <laughs> how do you deal with that as, as a festival organiser? When you look at your programming, where do you come from with that? Look, honestly, we just curate good music. That's that's where we come to it from. Um, my background is just in dance music in general, and I have a really heavy tinge of nostalgia for that sound in general. Not necessarily from a video games background, but again, like Anders is saying, like from a demo scene background, um, I was growing up around the time when... And, I mean, just to digress a little bit, the whole idea of the demo uh, in and of itself was to showcase the possibilities of the hardware. So uh, manufacturers would make demos for their machines and it's literally a demo of the capabilities of the graphics card or the sound chip or something like that um to that end uh, we just listen and if it sounds good we're booking it <laughs> you know yeah i was lucky enough to go to the tokyo square sounds this year or yeah, last great. year in 2014 uh what's the relationship between the two festivals um again it really came out of the ashes of blip festival when that all ended which was a huge um, inspirational movement i think for a lot of people it really legitimized the idea of having chip music performed in front of a live audience which wasn't really such a thing until uh, blip festival and before that pulse wave um, came on the scene and i mean even before that there was a lot of stuff going on in europe uh, much too much to even start listening you know um that was definitely the the genesis of that scene but um i think blitfessel really took it to that next level and and made it kind of a, a big event um and to have people yeah at the forefront in front of a crowd big deal um how did the how did the japan thing start from that uh, it was a blip festival thing and at the end it, it, we just didn't want to stop doing it anymore yeah <laughs> so the artists coming to your festival have mm. incredible names that's one thing that definitely True. sticks out yep. you know we've got people like galaxy wolf and eyeliner mm-hmm. chips all you know go to ad in studio with us right now the unpronounceable n n n n n n n n n correct i've been told that it's no 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 there you go yeah it's always good to get the word on that, mm-hmm. like chick, chick, chick. Yep. Um, so, you know, Chip Tanaka. Yep. Was he born Chip? Uh, Hip Tanaka uh. Uh, was his, um, I guess, development name. That's what he was credited as a lot of the time. Mm. Um, and he was... A likely story. Uh, yes. He, he was responsible for a bunch of classics, actually. Classic uh, VGM soundtracks, um, as and well as development. As well. yeah, yeah, exactly right. I mean, he had a hand in the development of the Game Boy sound chip, which is such a big deal for uh, us in the scene, um, as well as the punters, you know. Without that chip, there's, there's not much chip music going on. Yeah. So it's interesting to have a music festival where you are based on really an idea of the technology behind it, the instrument in a way. You wouldn't necessarily... um, Well, you do find, say, music festivals where people all play ukuleles and things like that. sure. But you have different styles of music then coming out through that. Can you talk stylistically through some of the people who are appearing at the festival? Yeah, it's it's a tricky one, right? Because chip music is not a genre in and of itself. It's yeah. just a medium. It's like saying guitar music. Mm. Um, so when you think about people like Toriana or No, 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 it's really hard-hitting, hyper-energetic dance music. Um, when you talk about Go to 80, it's more like funk, groovy, like laden um, jams, like which I love. Yeah. Um, and then on the the other end of it you've got little scale um he's he's doing visuals this year but previously he's pay, uh, played in the past and uh yeah he kind of does really uh, incredible like bass music very future driven stuff um a lot of mega drive stuff uh, the yamaha tri- chips yeah he's big into that fm synthesis big deal yeah and is your um in your thesis you talk about 
your how the the platform, I guess, the the hardware is what binds this all together. But really, it's the software that um, people talk about most they, when when they're talking about what is it about the chiptune software that contributes to the sound. Oh, <coughs> well, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I mean, essentially, it's this uh, style of music software called Trackers, which is which is. Um, I mean, it's a little bit more like programming than than other uh, music software, and it's a little bit younger. Like it came out in the '80s, uh, whereas like the other sort of normal music software today is from the '60s. Uh, so this is like a more um, direct way of of just um, having everything available at your fingertips. Sort of, it's very, very, a very fast way and a very easy way. Once once you learn the software, uh, it's it's really fast to work with and you get this kind of uh, ornamentation like these really small details like if you listen to the melodies there's all these tiny little slides and uh, vibrating stuff uh, which is a lot easier to do in these tracker softwares so um <clears throat> yeah if you if you want to show off your skills like the demo seniors wanted to you you just add all these yeah all these details to everything um, like a playing a really bad guitar solo with lots of <laughs> yeah so much vibrato yeah. yeah so in that sense then if it is if the software is such a huge part of the sound and there is you know there are emulators why is the hardware so important i mean i understand that you're a bit of a hardware fundamentalist um well i definitely used to be and i i still use the original hardware um I don't know. I, I just kind of like it. It's the most sort of direct way of using it, and it's it's reliable, and you don't have to have, like, heaps and heaps of operating systems and drivers and all this kind of stuff that usually just stops working after a while, and, uh, like, this thing just keeps on going. Um, but, I mean, uh, the hardware sort of, yeah, it's it's this built-in conflict, right, since since it's all about the hardware, but some, some people just use laptops and emulate everything or sample everything. And that's, I mean, to me, that's just fine. I mean, that's the way, that's the way it is. Uh, I think the sort of hardware purism has sort of faded along the years, I'd say. Is that as the hardware stopped working? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's still still kicking. We're recapping boards. It's still good. <laughs> So, Anders, can we talk a little bit about your process? You're so prolific. Um, you've recorded all these things. So when you're performing live, I mean, you've performed at some places which I would dream of ever visiting, like um, the Trezor Club that used to be in Berlin. That would have been incredible. When you are approaching those, uh, do you tailor what you play to, you know, how much do you respond to the environment that you're in? Um, well, I always try try to do that um, as, as much as possible. Um, Basically, my process is yeah, two two ways. Either I have it have sort of the songs, um, uh, the songs more or less ready, and I just change some details during the set, which mm-hmm. is what I sort of normally normally would do in sort of a dance club setting. Mm-hmm. But if I <clears throat> if I play in, in a setting where people are sitting down and are more sort of uh, patient, maybe, um, then I'll just write songs from, from scratch in front of the audience and just totally, totally improvised. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it takes a bit of time to get it running, so you just need, you know, some <laughs> patience from the, from the audience to be able to do that. 
That's incredible. Um, that's exactly what we wanted to, to hear. Um, so will you be playing like a, a performance, almost like a DJing of your own music and, and modifying it while you, while you go set while you're in Melbourne? Um, yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna do on on Saturday, and maybe even some some singing and screaming and stuff. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so Eugene, can you tell us more about the structure of the festival this year and what events are, are going on? Yeah, so we start on the Thursday, this coming Thursday, with a pre-party that's down at Forgotten Worlds in in Collingwood. Um, so definitely come check that out. It's always a good time. Um, we wrap the whole thing up with an after party on Sunday, which is more just like DJ sets. Um, but the main chunk of it, um, the Friday and the Saturday that's that's the key um on the saturday uh, we have some workshops during the day as well um, visual workshops which i think will be really cool it's super accessible for everyone because it's using software that you can just throw on your laptop um, and do some like really low bitrate type uh, generative visuals which is super super cool and if you wanted to check out what that'll look like um, there's a couple of videos on the website but the two main days yeah it's just hectic um two days of eight artists each um and yeah, it just doesn't stop. Doors open at seven every every night, and I go home shattered. <laughs> it's the best work I have to do. I gotta say, you've got an open mic as well. We do, yeah, and we've got um, twelve participants in that, so that's awesome. And two of the open mic artists from last year actually ended up on the bill for the main stage this year, which is inspiring. Um, that was a big goal of ours when we started doing this festival: is to have more local chip talent. Yeah, and it's definitely paying off. So do you ever get heckles from the audience of people's phones going off and you're like, yeah, that. Yeah, that. Play the classics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear Nokia ringtone three. Yeah. So where can people go if they want to find out more about this, perhaps uh, in the online space? Yeah, check out squaresoundsfestival.com. Uh, that's, that's the go. It's got links to our Tokyo Hub and our Melbourne one. So for our international online listeners, check out that. Yeah, that's the go. All right. Anders and Eugene, thank you so much for coming in and telling thank us about guys. Square Sounds Thanks. this year. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. You're with Bite Into It, and uh, we're pleased to be bringing you lots of computing and tech talk, but even better than that, lots of events this week. Dan and Simon manning the panel with me. Thanks, guys. And we've just been joined by three guests, um, Greg Wadley, Helen Hughes, and Joel Stern are here to introduce us to the Proof of Concept concept. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks Hello. for having us. So, so, so Greg, can you uh, tell us a little bit about what the Proof of Concept is? Indeed. Well, well Proof of Concept is, is a, a, a platform for putting on um, events, and I think uh, Joel and Helen will probably say more about that because that's really their, their concern. But the, together, the three of us are helping to organise an event this week called Facebook Party. You're already excited, right? What We're be, super excited. What could be more exciting than, than Facebook Party? So the idea of Facebook Party is uh, social media are kind of impinging into real life. You know, it's encroaching upon everything. Um, I have an, an anecdote just from the weekend where with some bandmates of mine, we were in the country, and every time we sat down, everyone was getting out their phones, you know, and we're starting to comment on each other's photos even though we're sitting <laughs> at the same time. So that, that, that virtual layer is sort of creeping into reality. Mm-hmm. And so we're wondering, if you take that to its logical conclusion, let's just skip the, the reality completely and have the party in Facebook. Now, so I adored this idea because I thought, oh, there's no pressure on me to, you know, whack on a dress and, and head doesn't out. doesn't matter what you wear. Yeah. It's a guaranteed good time. You, you're going to have a few drinks. You're going to listen to some cool music. 
whatever you'd normally do in your own lounge room because that's where you're going to be. Now, how are you going to interact with strangers in this environment, people you're not already linked to? How does that happen? There are no strangers on Facebook, just friends you <laughs> haven't met yet. That's right. But that, one of the advantages of Facebook is that, you know, that, that kind of social anxiety that you have when, you, when you're suddenly in a room with 100 people you don't know, well, it's just, it just, I don't think that happens in, in social media. You know, you can, just, you can just relax, you can just sit there. Now, if you do that at a real party, you know, you start to look like a bit of a loser. And <laughs> no one's talking to you. But on Facebook, no one knows you're a dog, you know. So Now, is this just a case of massive nostalgia for old chat rooms and you know, <laughs> hanging out on IRC channels late at night? Even cooler than IRC, think Second Life. Now, can you remember the, the golden era that's, of Second that's Life? A rich, that's a rich ask. All right. That's good. I like it. No, the goal of Second Life? The, the, golden, I was saying, the golden era of, of Second Life when everyone was buying virtual land and setting oh. up virtual homes and, mm. and really, you know, virtual clothes and really living their lives in Second Life. And, yeah. and RL was sort of a bit passe. And unfortunately, um, RL sort of came back to bite us. But I think Facebook is like our, our third life. You yeah. know, it's, it's a second mm. chance at second life. I wish bite regular Karen Flavelle was here at the moment because she was massive on second life and um, she really knew how to dress up for a party in second life as well. <laughs> so she would love this. A nice thing about Facebook parties, you don't even have to put your virtual clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like this. I'm looking at the Facebook page, the Facebook event page right now and there's 234 people going and 17 maybes, which means that 17 people can't even commit to a party that you don't have to <laughs> <laughs> but there is also a physical event as well, isn't there? There is, yeah. I mean, I guess even we can't leave RL alone and we're putting on sort of in parallel, so there's going to be a virtual world and physical world colliding um, and the physical event will occur at uh, Long Play. It's it's a, a bar and cinema in, in North Fitzroy. Um You'll be able to come there. You, you you have to bring, if you do come to the physical event, please bring a phone or a laptop. We'd prefer it if people didn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great social experiment. And I think um, in order to sort of uh, get into the long play space, you, you really need to be attending the event. If you, if you haven't clicked attend, we won't be letting you in. We'll have virtual bounces there. Yeah. Joel and I are the curators of the event. We run um, this new sort of conceptual art, conceptual art um, sort of performance uh, program. And we, f- yeah, as curators, we're going to also function as bouncers at the event. So we'll be standing either side of the door and um, assessing who may or may not enter. So if someone asks you ASL at the door, do they instantly get in? That's a definite no. Okay, right. Just that's, checking. That's ten years ago. We want people who are up to date <laughs> and contemporary. That's so MySpace. That's so MySpace. This is not a MySpace party. No. Burn. I love it. I like a bit of attitude at the door. That makes me want to go to that party. <laughs> this is actually the second Facebook party. The first one um, occurred rather spontaneously. It was one of those things where, you know... I think um, New Wave had just decided to throw a party uh, without much warning. Um, in, in, for this sort of second Facebook party, um, the idea was how, how to innovate Facebook party a bit further, how to... It's Facebook um, party plus. It is, yeah. So the experience for someone who visits the party, does it become a bit of a talk fest because of this? Or are you able to, you know, jump off in, into a different sort of party atmosphere somehow? Well... You know, Facebook is multimodal. You, you can not only talk, but also post photos. Mm. You can also like photos and comment on them. There's also-
also an element of RPG that is role-playing games. So you feel free to, like, occupy a different personality when you're posting. Sure. Um, there's also likely to be music. I mean, you know, uh, we've booked DJ um, search term uh, for the party and uh, he will be typing the word party into YouTube and playing whatever song <laughs> comes out. So party like it's 1999 and obscure songs like that. We also, we're not sure at this point um, how long the party will go on for because, you know, it's one of those things with, with all parties. You never know when the last guest is going to leave. <laughs> they often out, outstay their welcome, and, and that's true on Facebook as much as it is in real-life parties. It's true that well, on Facebook they might just be passed out at their keyboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and leaning on one of the keys. Extremely long, extremely long posts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little perplexed. It, it's very um, performance arty. Yeah. Have you got any party animals who you've invited to make sure that your party is going to be a success? I think it'll be like, you know, it's a perfectly good party and I think it'll be like any real-life party. There'll be loud people and quiet people and people who want to play up and orderly people. Um, there are some very chatty people on Facebook. I'm sure you've in, encountered them. We might even invite some people over from Twitter who just like to go at it all day long, you know, and that should liven up. Yeah. Speaking of going at it all day long, at what point do you say... Because like, I know that like with physical parties on Facebook, generally after the event's over, there'll be still comments, yeah, hey, great party, you know, I had a good time, love to see you all, thanks for coming. <laughs> at what point will you cut the thing and say, okay, the party's over. Now everyone talk about how great the party was. That depends on whether that feature's available in Facebook. I, I anticipate that after a few hours, people will sort of spontaneously figure out the party's over and it's now time to post our screenshots and talk about the good times, you know. But I don't know if we can enforce that. You know, people might just keep partying forever and, and <laughs> life could become one big Facebook party. So as the curators of this event, what, what is a successful party to you? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, obviously this is a new kind of party. The criteria for, for what makes it successful or not are, are, are really still up for grabs. I mean, you know, we have 220 people attending and 16 maybes. There's a few who've declined as well, but luckily Facebook doesn't um, show you how many have declined on the front page anymore. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's good because I suppose when you throw a real party, there are a lot of people who decline to come as well, and that's not really thrown into your face. You kind of, you know they didn't come, and you do feel bad about that, but... Um, we're basically going to run some stats, is what Joel's yeah. trying to say here. You know. um, but as, as curators, I think we anticipate quite a lot of work cut out for us because we're not just determining who enters and exits the party, we're also determining what is allowed to be posted on the Facebook page itself. We had an incident last week where someone posted a rude picture and we sort of had to have it removed. Because as a mm. curator, your task is, you know, if you're making an art exhibition, is to decide what is in and what is out. And so we're going to apply that logic to the Facebook party itself. And, of course, when you throw a party, you have to decide who's in and who's out. And, and when people misbehave, uh, it reaches a point where you, you have to eject them from the party, and, and our Facebook party uh, will be no different. But to get back to the question of how we'll determine the success or failure, um, we'll be using uh, SurveyMonkey as well, um, uh, and um, New Waiver has prepared uh, a, a set of questions, uh, questionnaire, which can be um, uh, completed online by all the guests, and we, we will use that to develop a matrix that will determine uh, whether people had a good time or not. 
That's fantastic. <laughs> I like that uh, it's a little bit like the Jay Pruitt method of um, determining a good poem. We're going to use metrics to determine a good party. <laughs> It's a really interesting project, guys. Thank you for coming and describing it to us. Uh, listeners, if you want to find out more, do check it out at www.proofofconcept.rocks. If that's not a party URL, I don't know what <laughs> is. Guys, best of luck with the party this Thursday, and Thank thanks for coming much. in. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. Party on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like. It's- you are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Triple R, Bite Into It, Dan, Simon and Vanessa in studio with you guys. Now it's time for a few events and opportunities. It is. Um, first one I wanted to bring up was um, Youth Without Borders are running the Spark Engineering Camp here in Melbourne from the 6th to 11th of July. Um, it's open for Australian students. So if you're in high school, uh, year 10 to 12, or if you're in a tertiary uh preparation program or um, also if you're looking to be a mentor uh, you need to be aged 18 to 26 uh, either uh, have completed or uh, currently doing your tertiary studies or um, if you are a member of Youth Without Borders um, get involved uh, Youth Without Borders do some amazing things and um, the applications close on the 24th of March if you head to sparkengineeringcamp.ywb.com.au for more information there and we'll post a link to that one yeah we've spoken to them in previous years and um some some great work coming out of there. What about you, Simon? Have you caught any uh, any events? On Saturday, 18th of April, there is the Free Play Fate, which, like any good fate, uh, <sighs> will have games and... You know, lots and a stall. The craft stall is the part that I'm most interested in. There are workshops, uh, but there is a craft stall where game makers will be selling their own games. Oh no way! Yeah, so it's a DIY, it's a DIY gaming craft stall. It, I can't say this enough. This is a DIY gaming craft stall. I'm very excited. Mm. Saturday, so 18th at a mystery location Ooh. yet to be revealed. And they're looking for expressions of interest. So Ooh. if people want tables at the fate, they can uh, throw in and suggest their ideas. A trash and treasure store, perhaps. Mm. Mm. Also upcoming is the CSS Conference AU for 2015. It's going to be held at the Meat Market in North Melbourne, and it's happening on the 26th and 27th of March. Two days of talks by leading Australian and international web designers and developers. There's a pre-conference social uh, gathering open to all on Wednesday uh, before the 26th and 27th of March. That'll be at Bar Tronica. And... um, there's very few tickets left from what I hear, mm. so people should get on that. Um, also, after the festival, um, or after the conference, there's this fantastic after-conference event called Decompress, which is pretty clever. They've um, had this before. And it's a hack day plus lightning talks plus food. That's how they bill it. So it's your recovery from the conference and to put a few things in action and solidify those learnings. Do we do we talk learnings here? I think it's learnings. Learnings? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stuff you learnt. Where's Georgia Webster when we need her to really go tough on our grammar? English is a living language. I think learning counts. It is. Anyhow, we'll, we'll shoot up links to... I don't to, want to live with that language. <laughs> we'll shoot up some links to the CSS conference after this. A big thanks to our guests tonight, um, Anders Carlson, Eugene Daverin Britton, Greg Wadley, Helen Hughes, Joel Stern. Thank you all for sharing your fun events that we can get to if we're geeky and want to head out this weekend. Um, thanks to Dan and Simon for co-hosting tonight, and thank you for listening.
You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au. 